Hey, yo, what's up? It's your boy, sir, of the 2020 Podcast, LLC. Please say the LLC. And before you listen to this episode, I just got to let you know, I need you to stop what you're doing. Go to blkrenaissance.com, and I need you to shop for the culture. That's right. Anytime you use the promo code LLC20 at Black Renaissance Clothing's website, you will get 20% off your order. Off rip. No questions asked. So do me a favor and do it for the culture. Peace. Hey, this is KJ, and I have a question for you. When was the last time you got something nice for yourself? (laughs) That's what I thought. So why not visit www.theblurredsyndicate.com and get something that will help you express who you really are. They've got shirts, mugs, purses, mouse pads, and even aprons for the grillers of the family. So if you're a fan of anime, pro wrestling, or hell, even the Golden Girls, the Blurred Syndicate has got you covered. Also, if you use the code LLC20 at checkout, you'll get 20% off your order. So what are you waiting on? I got mine. Come get yours. And remember to join the BS. Hi, guys. It's Mr. I'm Just Being Honest, host of the Truth Serum Podcast, podcast for the people. You can find me on Spotify, Anchor, and Buzzsprout. More networks coming soon. Happy listening. The self-destruct sequence has been activated. Repeat, the self-destruct sequence has been activated. This sequence may not be aborted. All employees proceed to the emergency car at the bottom platform. Okay, we lit it just like a fuse, so no need to pick and choose. Welcome to 2020, where we do more than interviews. The hottest be coming through, jumping knowledge on all that you get. A pick up the front of you with the truth that they offer you. Yeah, hands up, we doing it for the culture. To give artists and businesses more exposure. Keep it real and stay silent just like a boulder. It's about to go all the way down, can get no lower. Chasing my dreams, know that they get no slower. But if I stay running, I promise they getting closer. Moreover, success, my older. And if you're sleeping on me, I'm waking them up like folders. I told you, coming from the land with the tide roll, where we'll be on the whole different vibe though we like to ride slow and keep our windows tinted so you really can see us like stevie wonder waking up with his eyes closed yeah got the kind of flow that rock the boat on my 16s and pounds of dope and if you figure you can hang with me on the mic then grab some rope matter of fact better grab some hope while you at it we keep it live it's time to tune in turn up the sound on what you're using it goes so hard i think it's bruising the show is 2020 no need to zoom in yeah Hey, yo, what's up? It's your boy, Sir of the 2020 Podcast, LLC. Please say the LLC. And I'm back for part two of the Ashley Massaro uh, affidavit. And I apologize. I know this is a little late, but you know, life be life. And then I appreciate all the comments and all the new subscribers and all the new followers I've gained with the Vince McMahon allegation videos hitting YouTube. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, just so you know, this is not a permanent thing that I'll be doing. We'll only be reviewing cases that I find interesting that are in the wrestling community. Okay, so I, I don't want to mislead you guys thinking this is the type of content you get all the time. Here at the 2020 Podcast, we do a variety of things and wrestling just happens to be one of them. Okay, all right. So let's get back to the case. Last time we uh, read together with the affidavit, uh, unfortunately, the grape case, uh, um, the grape situation that occurred in Kuwait um, and she was stuck uh, 
when everyone else went home. She was stuck overseas. And uh, we're going to pick up right where we left off. Okay. So it says, I could not believe that that was happening. But there was no way I was staying alone in a hotel without a burqa and radia for the night. So just as a reminder, um, she's she's Ashley was really white. She was she was a white girl to the whitest degree. So they could tell that she was a white girl in a burqa. So she was saying previously she was getting harassed for uh, being fair skinned in a burqa. You know, I guess they just didn't take to that. But anyway. Uh, so I called a friend who was a travel agent and arranged for me to meet an airline employee who, by some miracle, got me onto a flight. Thankfully, I was able to return home, but I was incredibly upset at the fact that I had been abandoned in a dangerous situation by my colleagues who knew what I had just endured, the grape, and thought it was inappropriate that even the WWE office, while not aware of the grape yet, would think it was a good plan for the rest of the group to leave me alone there overnight. After I returned to the U.S., Dr. Rio set up a meeting with me and questioned me about the incident. I have no idea how he knew anything had happened. I suspect that either someone showed up, something showed up in my drug test results, one of the other individuals of the two reported it to him, or he just could sense from my demeanor that something was wrong. Regardless, he told me that I needed to tell him what had happened. I finally agreed on the condition that he not disclose the information to anyone else and told him what had occurred. Dr. Rios then informed Vince, who informed Kevin Dunn, John Laurinaitis, and several other company execs or lawyers that I had never even met, but were all present in the meeting that I was called into shortly after. Vince led the meeting with these men and asked me to recount what happened in Kuwait. Then he said that it was not in the best interest of the WWE, for me to make the information about my attack public. I was still completely traumatized at that point and I just agreed. It was clear that they had already there had already been a conversation and that they had reached a decision on their own prior to consulting with me as this was not a debate but rather Vince instructing me to keep this confidential. Vince did at least apologize for what I went through but then stressed that if I disclosed this incident, it would ruin the relationship between WWE and the U.S. military. He told me not to let one bad experience ruin the good that they were doing. His lack of sensitivity in referring to my ordeal as one bad experience left me speechless. Vince went on to say that I would not be required to travel to the Middle East ever again and that the WWE would institute a new policy where any time a female WWE performer went to the Middle East, she would have a female WWE escort with her 24-7 to ensure that this did not happen again. This did not make me feel better about the situation. It had already happened to me and the damage was already done. But again, I felt so defeated at that point, I just it just seemed to be pointless to protest. I also admitted I also admittedly was uncomfortable with the thought of the wrestlers finding out, so I asked Vince and those in the room to keep the incident quiet and they agreed. At the time, I was completely traumatized and literally had no support. I also had no evidence as I was unable to have a rape kit excuse me, have a grape kit administered and don't did not even know the name of my grapist. I was also not even in an appropriate mental state to determine the proper channels to go through to report a crime that had happened on a military base in Kuwait and was committed by a man I could not identify by name. 
Given my condition, I simply did not have it in me to go against the wishes of WWE and attempt to pursue the matter any further, and I remained silent. The easiest thing to do seemed to be seemed to be to try to pretend it didn't happen, which of course ultimately never works. This experience was by far the most traumatic and emotionally damaging thing that has ever happened to me, and it haunts me to this day. People often speak of having nightmares where they are being attacked for some reason and are unable to scream or run. This happened to me in real life, and I can't count the number of times I have relived, relived this incident in my mind. Obviously, I should have received counseling or therapy after attack, but neither Dr. Rios nor Vince had even suggested therapy or counseling of any sort, and I was forced to deal with and live with this incident on my own. I felt that Dr. Rios, as he had been in all of my interactions with him, was sympathetic and would have liked to do more to help, but he was under the thumb of the WWE, and in particular, Vince. In the past, when I had been injured, Dr. Rios had administered cortisone shots and prescribed pain medications and muscle relaxers for me, but I imagine he knew those were just band-aids used to allow me to continue to perform short-term. Dr. Rios had said at one point that I really needed a break, given the number of injuries I had sustained over a relatively short span, but his advice was ignored by the WWE. As Vince demonstrated that he ordered the crew to prematurely saw the cast off my hand. He was not concerned about my health nor safety or was, and was only concerned about putting on the show and making money. Vince approached my grape in the same manner he approached all uh, wrestler injuries. He did not want to damage the reputation of WWE by making them public knowledge, so he exerted extreme pressure on us to stay silent, to perform whether or it was, excuse me, and to perform whether or not it was safe to do so, and had also no regard for our well-being. We were being treated as replaceable commodities. WWE's top priority seemed to be generating profits and avoiding liabilities, regardless of how it affected its workers. As an aside, I kept my silence about this incident for years, at first because of the pressure from WWE and the fear of losing my job, and then because I felt like it would do little or no good to report a grape that occurred years ago in Kuwait by a man I could not identify. However, when I learned that the WWE had been concealing the risk of long-term damage from repeated head injuries and thought back to how WWE have a culture of silencing and mistreating its performers and how, as a result, so many men and women today are either dead or left dealing with on their own with the horrific aftermath of their injuries, I became angry. I am angry that WWE doesn't educate, inform, train its performers. I'm angry that WWE silences its performers performers i'm angry that the wwe puts his performers in dangerous situations i'm angry that the wwe fails to provide appropriate treatment when injuries occur i'm angry that i'm already suffering from long-term effects of in-ring injuries which may get worse over time and that wwe disclaims responsibility this pattern of behavior illustrates a lack of concern on the part of wwe for the health safety and well-being of its performers and i broke my silence finally because I thought my story would help shed light on what I view as important because that has deeply affected me so personally and so many others. WWE utterly failed in its duties to promote and protect the safety and well-being of the men and women who dedicate their lives to the business, and it should not be permitted to continue to sweep important issues under the rug. Finally, I hope that telling my story may cause a young person 
aspiring to be a professional wrestler to think twice and consider the realities of the situation and not make the same mistake I made. By 2008, one of the screws, which had been placed in my leg after my injury in 2006, had come loose, and I was required to have revisionary surgery and required the replacement of a 5-inch metal plate in my leg. As discussed above, I was not even cognizant of the distinction between an employee and an independent contractor when I signed my contract with the WWE, and if I had been, may have disregarded Stephanie McMahon's order not to train on my own so that I could have learned how to wrestle and prevented some of the injuries that plagued me to this day. It is incomprehensible that I have been classified as an independent contractor while being forced to perform five days a week and ordered not to train the other two days. It is also unfathomable that John Laurinaitis would be able to negotiate a deal for me to appear on the cover of Playboy if I was truly an independent contractor. To this day, I don't even know whether I received full compensation for the cover because everything was handled by WWE and his lawyers. Ooh. That's interesting. I was wondering why that stopped and how that worked because they're using your image on a different platform. So I wonder if they... If you're not an employee, right, how much of a cut were they getting of that Playboy? I don't know if y'all remember. This went on for some years back in the day. If the WWE could tell me that I had to pose new for a magazine and handle all aspects of the transaction, this suggests it exerted some level of control over me that is more akin to an employee. It eventually became painfully obvious that I was being treated as an independent contractor because I was forced to spend approximately 55000 per year on rental cars and hotels since WWE only paid for our flights. This was unfair as we were, in reality, employees and these expenses should have been reimbursed. Even if one takes the opposite position, we should have at least had assistance from WWE in making reservations. One night, I was making a really long drive with Jillian Hall to a show and we were in the middle of nowhere. Jillian had booked the only hotel in the area and ended up being connected to a strip club. Jillian was still in her stage clothes. I observed some men throwing beer bottles in the parking lot and wanted to just leave immediately. But there were no other hotels in the area, so she proceeded to take the keys through a window and drive around to the back of the motel where the entrance to our room was. We were immediately barricaded by three large vehicles, so we could not move the car in any direction, and the men in the vehicles got out of their cars and started banging on the car windows. I laid on the horn for at least a full minute before a motel employee finally came out, and the men returned to their vehicles and drove off. We drove off once we were certain they were not able to follow us to look for another hotel. WWE plays up the sex appeal of the divas. We were sometimes forced to hit the road to go to the next show without even having time to change, as Jillian was that night. Sometimes WWE did not want to pay for our flights, so we had to rent cars and take very long drives sometimes. It was through the middle of nowhere. We were constantly traveling, so we did not have time to make sure every hotel we book is going to be perfectly safe. WWE should not send scantily clad female performers on long drives through the middle of nowhere late at night and not provide them with a safe space to say to stay or safe method of transportation. WWE also failed to provide information to me regarding my legal rights, whether as an independent contractor or an employee, or even explain the difference. 
and never communicated or posted signs regarding my rights under OSHA or any other labor laws. While I worked for WWE, it was displayed a reckless disregard for my safety and health of its performers who were unaware of their rights. WWE failed to even report my injuries in the ring and my grape in the Kuwait to OSHA and provided me no information and posted no signage regarding OSHA. Presumably, this derives from WWE's misclassifications of me and other wrestlers as independent contractors. While I wrestled for the WWE, I was never informed of the risk that I was exposing myself to when I stepped into the ring. I was never informed of the long-term risk associated with concussions or repeated head trauma, and I never had even heard of the terms TBI or CTE. Even after I was literally knocked out cold for five minutes, not only did I not receive treatment, but I was told to brush it off. The closest thing to education or treatment that I could call receiving was about once a year, we would have to get an EKG test in one particular state because it was mandated by that state's regulations. WWE was in a better position than WWE was in a better position that I was to have knowledge of the risks associated with in-ring injuries, including TBI and CTE, and had a duty to warn me of these risks. And it clearly failed to fulfill its obligations to me. It provided me with literally no information about these risks, and I was kept completely in the dark. While I was unaware of it at the time, WWE had filmed episodes of Raw focused on TBI as part of a storyline before I had entered the Diva Search competition. And while I still worked for WWE, Chris Benoit tragically killed himself and was later diagnosed with CTE, so there is no question I had that I had knowledge of these risks. Since WWE was aware of the injuries that I had sustained, it was an obligation to contact me at least, at the very least, and inform me of the risks I faced today. The conclusion. To this day, I am battling long-term health effects of my WWE career. I have suffered long-lasting effects of the physical injuries sustained in my WWE career, and I have to follow up and I have to have follow-up surgeries to correct my ankle and knee injuries. In 2010, I required revisionary surgery for my ankle injury in 2016. I have required another surgery to treat the ankle injury I suffered while wrestling for the WWE. The WWE has not contributed to the cost of these follow-up surgeries, and I have been forced to rely on New York's Medicaid program. I also have had to see a pain management physician every single month since leaving the WWE due to the pain that I have experienced to this day from my in-ring injuries. WWE did not make any payments to me to assist in my recovery or for my continuing need for follow-up medical care. Briefly, I would also like to note that the above is not a comprehensive list of my in-ring injuries as they are far too many to recount in this affidavit. For example, I still suffer with a torn meniscus and I was supposed to have surgery for this in 2016, but have had to put it off put it off as this would cause a financial hardship because I fear that having to take pain medication to recover from the surgery could have negative repercussions. I am, however, scheduled to have the surgery next month. On a similar note, WWE has used narcotics as a, cool, as a tool to allow me and other wrestlers perform through our injuries. If we took enough pills, the pain went away, temporarily, and we would be able to wrestle. Unfortunately, and obviously, this worsened our injuries and required us to take more pain medication the next time to decrease the pain to a tolerable level.
The quantity of pills we were given and the strengths of the dosages were so high that even after the injuries healed, our bodies were addicted to the medication itself and would be in pain without it. This becomes a vicious cycle. And as I've only recently become aware, it is often exacerbated by repeated repetitive head trauma. I fell victim to the cycle myself and developed an addiction to pain medication. After I required revisionary surgery in 2010, it got worse. Then I sought help for my addiction. I worked with Ann Russo Gordon, a manager of talent relations department who ran the former talent rehab program. I underwent treatment through that program of September of 2010. I remained in the program for 42 days. Years later, I received a letter from Paul Levesque dated November 7, 2014, regarding the WWE former talent drug and alcohol rehabilitation uh, assistance program. The letter, which I still has, states that help will be provided to participants regardless of the reason for departure from WWE or amount of time performed for WWE. It seems contradictory that WWE acknowledges a duty to assist former talent with drug and alcohol treatment but does not acknowledge any duty for treatment of head injuries that led to addictions aside from my ongoing physical injuries that were sustained in the ring and my former battle with addiction to this day i suffer from depression for which i take medication migraine headaches and severe short-term memory loss I have been receiving medical treatment for these problems since I left the WWE and I'm currently still undergoing treatment. I attribute these issues to my work-related injuries sustained while working for the WWE and specifically to the routine repetitive blows to the head that I received in the ring over the course of my care, which were not properly diagnosed or treated. Despite WWE's admitted that they have a duty to take all responsible steps to protect the health and safety of his performers and to inform the performers of the risk long-term impairments from repetitive brain trauma that was a run-on sentence from hell it owed me this duty during and after my wrestling career and it failed to live up to his obligations as a result it has caused me severe and ongoing pain and suffering emotional distress and financial hardship wwe has continued its relation with me Despite failing in these duties, first by providing my rehab treatment and second by continuing to this day to make royalty payments to me. These payments are often a minuscule amount that do not begin to cover the required medical care. I hope that justice will be served, that the WWE will, forced, will be forced moving forward to fulfill the other obligations it has to me and other former wrestlers that have been so recklessly ignored for so many years. I also specifically hope that it is forced to acknowledge and provide monitoring and necessary treatment for the long-lasting effects caused specifically by the repetitive head trauma we were subject to without any warning or education regarding the risks. Ashley Massaro, signed under penalties of perjury, November 1st, 2017. That's so freaking sad, man, given her story. Um, those of you that don't know, uh, in, I believe it was 2019, um, Ashley Massaro would take her own life after this. Um, it, it, it was quite frankly, terrible. Um, it, it, it wasn't, um, it wasn't received well by the wrestling community. 
Um, she did donate her brain to uh, CTE research, and um, it's 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 still in their possession. Um, it's just it's just sad, man. Going back and given what she stated, you know, it um, it's terrifying. And and yes, this was a while back, you know, when she was in the WWE, but given how much things have changed, I, I, I really hope they continue to refine their process and make changes to protect women, especially, you know, um, I'm glad they went from treating women like divas and you know, because y'all remember the Divas era. The Divas era was really more about being pretty and being more sexually appealing. While the sex appeal is still there, they're more focused on creating safe athletes now. You know, um, they're still being treated like independent contractors, though. So they have a ways to go. And who knows, uh, maybe TKO will make a change uh, with being the owners of the WWE now, with Vince being completely out. Um Perhaps change is on the way, you know. Apparently, uh, I believe uh, UFC does take care of their fighters pretty well. So hopefully that trickles down to WWE. We, we, we don't know. We don't know. But this this was just very unfortunate hearing this, you know. And with her taking her, she took her life at 39, bro. And, and just to give it, you know, levity, I'm I'll be 37 this year. You know, just she wasn't old, you know. This this was terrible. This was absolutely terrible. But anyway, this has been your boy, sir. Uh this was the Ashley Massaro uh affidavit that was submitted. Let me know. Um she did make a reference to Chris Benoit and I uh just in case you uh you guys are interested. I'm kinda torn. Uh, I do wanna cover the Quisper hella the Chris Benoit case. And uh, how unfortunate that was. Let me know if y'all be interested. Now, that is a dark story. Um, it's just with everything that's going on with the WWE, things been swept under the rug. And CTE It's just, we've already talked about Vince. We talked about John Laurinaitis. We talked about Ashley. I really feel like we need to go back and discuss, you know, what's going on uh, with one of the most famous cases of CTE. Uh, Chris Benoit. So, but anyway, this is being boy, sir. I appreciate those who hung out through this entire clip, and uh, I'll see you on the next one. Can we put your business out in the streets? People be nosy anyway. So, if you're interested in promoting your business, brand, platform, or whatever it is that you want people to know about, hit us up. Or if you're interested in just sponsoring an episode or two of the Underground Queens podcast, feel free to email us at the Underground Queens with a Z podcast at gmail.com. Again, that's the Underground Queens podcast at gmail.com. Or DM us on Instagram at the Underground Queens. Or you can even hit us up on Facebook at Underground Queens. We look forward to working with you and helping putting your business out in the streets.